When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy, they're going to get accountability, they're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 155 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 155 hits for Barry Bonds in 1997, which brings up a question someone asked me. Which team is more surprising in their uh, lead over the Dodgers? Is it the 1997 Giants or is it the 2021 Giants? Oh, good question. Yeah. Good question. Both... Both uh, seasons were uh, you didn't expect. Uh, you, you thought maybe the Giants were building towards something. They weren't going to be a fully formed, hatching from the egg as a hundred win team. And uh, um, yeah, you, you make a deal for Jeff Kent. You get a little JT Snow here, and all, all of a sudden you, you've got a team that they were outscored. Though, if I yes. remember correctly, they they won the division even though they were outscored. So I think if you look at the fluky nature of of uh, of a team of a season that was a much more fluky team. If you were to play that season out, I would imagine a hundred more times you wouldn't have uh, nearly as many um, uh, good outcomes for the Giants. But but this year doesn't feel that way. I would agree. That's how I answered. I said 1997 is more surprising, just because if you're looking at the rotation this year, what you're saying isn't. Hey, I don't know if these pitchers are any good. It was more. Hey, I don't know if these pitchers are going to hold up for 162 games. You you knew the talent that was going in. It was more just. Hey, you know, are they healthy? Are they are they durable? Whereas back then, it's like, who is Sean Estes? Is he's is he ready? Kirk Reeder? What what's going on here? You know, it was a lot more surprising there. The only difference is that that team had Barry Bonds, which is a little bit of an advantage. I would think so. So how many hits did he have? 155? 155. So right now, uh, we're 75% of the way through the season, and there's only one giant who has 100 hits, and that's Mr. Brandon Crawford. Buster Posey's second on the team with 89 hits. So your hits leader uh, is probably going to have, what, barely barely 140 hits maybe wow that's a good point i just i'm looking at that now that is bananas like you look at it, i know brandon belt's been hurt but 50 hits evan longoria's been hurt 50 hits it's still just like 50 hits doesn't sound like that much i mean uh a lot of it has to do with walks and playing time and managing everyone's at bats and platoons and i mean i, I get it but at the same time it's still kind of funny yeah i mean it played appearances that your leader on the team is mike yastrzemski with uh, 413 and brandon crawford sitting there at 390 
1991. And come on, Buster, you got to get get those plate appearances to qualify for that batting title. Um, I don't know if he's going to get there. He's going to have to definitely ramp up his playing time, which which maybe he will uh, down the stretch. But uh, it's it's worked out so well whenever they've put Kirk Casale back there that I, I'm not sure the Giants are going to deviate from it a whole bunch. Right. I mean, there's there's like the the impulse of, gosh, he's hitting so well. Let's get him in more. But then you got to think chicken and the egg, like maybe he's hitting so well because he's so well rested. And I think that that's very, very valid, especially when you're talking 34-year-old catcher. So what are your takeaways from the Mets series? I mean, another take two out of three. I mean, that you just keep keep doing that over and over and over. That should be enough to win the division, I would think, even though the Dodgers are a kind of historically good second place team right now. Um, but uh, do, you, do you exit that Mets series feeling a little bit better about things, feeling a little more concerned about things? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the same same story. They they win a series, and yet there are things you can look at and be like, hmm. Well, should be, should we worry about this? That's exactly it. I mean, it's you have to just big picture that they, they want another series. They won a series against a team that went in there uh, over five hundred, left there not over five hundred. I mean, that is what you have to do. And we're grading the Giants on a curve, and especially since we're talking the first day after a a, really, a pretty tough loss. You know, it's easy to focus on what didn't go right. What surprised me, though, is when I'm watching that and after the game's over and you think of all the missed opportunities, just not a lot of those games this year. Just not a lot of gut punches and not a lot of, gosh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, That's, I guess, the sign of not just a good team, but like a really freaky good team is that you just don't feel like this over a long, long baseball season that often. Yeah, and you know, it is a game that you could sit back and say, oh, the Giants should have won that. And oh, you know, Gabe Kapler should have let Kirk Casale bat for himself uh, in the in the uh, tenth inning, and, and then had Buster for the pitcher's spot, or he was too aggressive with Darren Ruff uh, early in the game, or or using Slater as a pinch runner. He burned too many players, and they ended up having, you know, Tyler Chatwood basically is the only guy left. But I, I kind of look at it, and I'm like, that that's the way he's managed all season. He's managed sure. aggressively all season, and and when you lose your starting pitcher in the second inning, like they did with Anthony DiSclefani when he limped off with his ankle injury, I, you you almost start to realize that okay, this is probably a game you're going to lose and they played so well defensively and and the the bullpen was so good that they almost found a way to back into a win there and and in fact we're three outs away uh, from winning the ball game and if if Jake McKee doesn't you know miss inside to Pete Alonso and hit him with a two-strike pitch to start the ninth they probably do win that game and it, it it definitely goes into the category of the Chris Bryant uh games we had no business winning department but um you know, yeah, you do back away from it because you had, you know, were three outs away from winning, winning the game, and you think, oh, they should have won it. But I, I kind of look at it the other way. I think it was a game that they almost had no business, you know, leading one nothing at that stage, given all the, you know, the uh, all the pitching they had to use and all the plays they had to make. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, we've been talking about the bullpen all year. It was a, a topic of, of early discussion. I mean, the opening day loss was as brutal as a bullpen loss can get. So they've, they've had a lot of focus put on there. And when uh, Jake McGee blows a save, it's easy to go, gosh, there goes the bullpen again. Why didn't they fix it uh, at the deadline? At the same time, I'm looking at the box score 
uh, from Wednesday. And I know ERA is not how you are supposed to evaluate evaluate relievers. It's you know you're supposed to look at strikeout to walk ratio. You're supposed to look at uh, inherited runners. I mean, there's all sorts of different things you're supposed to look at. But when, just by raw ERA, Dave Sclafani's out of the game. The Giants throw a guy with a 2.25 ERA, followed by a guy with 2.74, followed by 2.89, followed by 1.67, followed by 2.02, followed by 2.79. The worst of the bunch is Tony Watson, 3.64 before you get to Tyler Chatwood, who's more of an emergency pitcher. The Giants are just throwing out there effective relievers who have spent all year basically not allowing runs, which is the point of pitching. And it's it's how they were even in position to win the game with a hit yesterday. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, Tyler Chatwood had a sort of a tough uh, environment to make his debut with the team. But, you know, when he he did throw a scoreless inning. And, and, and to be honest, as much as he's been a starter in the past and we tend to sort of turn our brains off and think, well, he should be able to go six innings because he's a starter. <laughs> he hasn't been used that way all year. He's been used as a short reliever. And so I think that was a stretch for him to, to go beyond one inning. But he was the only guy left. So you knew that he was going to be in the game until they won it or lost it. And, uh, um, you know, he was just uh, wild enough in the strike zone, uh, hung enough breaking pitches to get hurt. But you also saw, I mean, he's throwing 97 with a lot of movement too. So, you know, there's something there. And um, it's almost unfortunate that his debut was about as inauspicious as you can be. I'm not sure there's, I think Stats Inc. found out it's been eight years since a pitcher has made his debut with the team taken the loss, oh, and also struck out to end the game. I mean, that's kind of a rare <laughs> confluence of crap to happen Maybe. to you. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, you hope that Tyler Chadwick doesn't take it that hard. I mean, he, he, I think he did his job by giving them the scoreless inning that he did. Um, and then, you know, he was kind of left to, to beat the, the last man standing. Uh, so, you know, that was unfortunate, but it was all the circumstances of the game and the fact they lost their starting pitcher in the second inning. There's like two truths that I believe about Jake McGee, the closer. Uh, uh, one truth is that he's good. He's effective. He is good at his job. He is uh, limiting walks. He is striking out batters. He's missing bats. He's effective at preventing both base runners and runs, which is kind of the point. Uh, the other truth is that when he gets a batter to two strikes, I am scared as heck for him because it, it just seems like 0-2 count doesn't mean as much for Jake McGee. Uh, you know, maybe it's because he's such a fastball forward pitcher. But when he gets two strikes uh, in the start before this, it, the, the 0-2 pitch was when the, the batters would get hits. Uh, in, in Wednesday's game, it was when he hit Pete Alonzo with two strikes. There's something about two strikes and Jake McGee. I don't know. Maybe it's because he gets so many hitters to two strikes and it's just confirmation bias. Yeah, you know, I, I was watching that game on TV yesterday. I was at home and sometimes I can see more on TV than I can see when I'm in the press box. And, uh, you know, McGee was really locating well away to Pete Alonso, but we know that Alonso is a guy who can really hurt you away because he can drive the ball, even at, at uh, Oracle Park with that big wall. He's a guy who can, who can find a way to take it over that wall. He's got that much power. And in a one-run game, um, you know, they had him looking away. They had him looking away. It was time to go in. And I could just kind of tell, and I, I, I hate to read too much into body language, but I could just kind of tell that he wasn't super comfortable when he got the sign and Kirk Casale started flashing, uh, you know, the glove uh, in. Um, 
I, I wasn't sure he was super confident uh, that he he had the the ability to command inside. He just seemed a little hesitant for a second, and then of course he misses too far in and hits the batter. And then uh, Michael Conforto singles. It's first and third with nobody out, and you think, okay, best case scenario here is basically try to get out of this with a tie, which is what they did. Got the sacrifice fly and got out of the inning. But I could just kind of tell that he wasn't super comfortable uh, trying to locate in there, and maybe that's me reading too much. But the other thing that I notice about uh, Jake McGee's vibe is he's got a real Tyler Walker big sweaty guy vibe. He he, <laughs> he perspires out there. He gets red. He gets sweaty. Yes. And I think and we've seen this before. We, we've seen this from a Giants closer before. Aha! Our friend Tyler Walker, big sweaty himself. Oh, a big moist reliever coming in for the save. That is <laughs> what I'm hearing is when you're saying uh, you saw that that McGee was a little bit uncomfortable with the inside pitch. Is that you're blaming that loss on Kirk Casale, and all he does is is help the Giants lose? I would never blame that on Kirk Casale. I would never. In fact, so you know you, you always say root for the story, right? Well, right. this was a rare instance where you know, I'm not rooting for the story so I can write it. I'm rooting for the story to get better because I've already written it. Yes, and, and Kirk Casale has. I mean, it's crazy what he's done. We know about the, all the shutouts that he caught early. It's probably flown underneath your radar just how offensively dominant he's been since he came back from the injured list. I mean, he's got a whole mess of extra base hits uh, shoved into about 80 plate appearances. We're talking nine doubles, five homers, and a triple um, in, in about 80 plate appearances since he came back. So um, he's been really good. And the team's record in his starts uh, entering Wednesday was 33-8. and eight. That's an 800 winning percentage. That's historically good. That does not happen like ever in baseball history. And you can see the, the list uh, of, of players on it um, in, in the feature I wrote. And then, of course, you think, okay, I don't want them to lose with Kurt Casale behind the plate on Wednesday just after I've popped this story up on the site because then 8,000 people are going to be screaming at me uh, for being a jinx. I will say they did lose a day game with Kurt Casale. They are now 19-3, uh, and three, uh, where they could have been 20-2, and two, um, with Kurt <laughs> Casale starting day games, which is ludicrous, ludicrous. But I will say don't blame me because Kirk Casale was supposed to lead off the 10th inning with the winning run at second base, and Gabe Kapler pinch hit Buster Posey for him. He made that decision. I did not. He has to live with it. Write your letters to Gabe Kapler, 24 Willie Mays Plaza, SF, California. What a bonehead move by Gabe Kapler to to pinch hit the guy who's, uh, let me check, hitting... 322. That means that more, more than two thirds of the time, he's not getting the hit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, okay. In, in reality, it was it was the right move. You have a chance to, to to win the game with Buster Posey. You do it, and he and he really put a charge into a ball, and and you know probably almost you know hit it off the bricks and would have ended the game. So um, you know, not not really seriously uh, dogging Gabe Kapler for hitting. Uh, probably the best pure hitter in the National League right there. But I'm just saying, if you want to blame someone, <laughs> don't blame me. I didn't lift Kurt Caselli from that game. It's so funny, the brain of a writer, because that is, I mean, that is how I think when I'm writing like, hey, don't give up on Tommy LaStella. When he comes up in the first inning, I'm going, oh, God, no double play, no double play. God, <laughs> you know, and then when he hits a home run, it's like, oh, I get to puff around and walk in, you know, king of the castle, king of the castle, tweet my story out. And so it's it, that's how it works. And I remember writing in, I think, February, I was writing about the, the depth of the Giants. And there was a, an article 
and the headline was, want to feel good about the 2021 Giants? Because back then we're thinking, okay, is this team going to be 500? Uh, identify their worst hitters. And the premise of the piece was that this is a deep team. And the worst hitter on this team, it might be Kirk Casale, who's pretty darn good for a backup catcher, right? And it's a little, you know, just like pointing it out. And I'm thinking, hey, this guy's okay. And then for the first month or two months of the season, he wasn't just bad. He was like the worst backup catcher in Giants history. I mean, we're talking, he's beyond any of the backup catching randos that you had in your in your mental Rolodex. Uh, so I was thinking, gosh, I really, I really just want this guy to be okay to make that premise sing again. And now he's like, man, he didn't just get his numbers back up to average uh, by hitting a little bit. He's been hitting a lot so far. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he was also, what, three outs away from catching another shutout, which would have been the ninth shutout that he would have caught this year in, you know, barely 40 starts. So a quarter of the time he's catching a shutout. I mean, that's another thing that just doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, you're right. You, you look at... Um, what he's done since uh, since he came off the injured list. I mean, we're, t- we're talking night and day. Uh, when he went on the injured list, he started the season seven for 70, first of all. Um, and I think he had one double uh, all year. That was his only extra base hit. Uh, let's see here. His slugging percentage was 119. That's a slugging percentage, mind you, 119. <laughs> when he went on the injured list, he had a three-strikeout game. He went 0 for 4 May 30 at the Dodger Stadium. And, uh, I, you know, I, he was a little cagey on what exactly they did. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a little cortisone or some kind of injection or something that would help him, uh, you know, deal with a little inflammation or, or whatever was uh, bugging him. Uh, he definitely found a, a bat that he can sort of roll his wrists over a little bit, uh, borrowing Mike Yastrzemski's bat and taping the crap out of it. Uh, and, and yeah, now you look at two. This doesn't count uh, Wednesday's game. Uh, so I'm not sure how many at-bats he had, maybe three or four. But in 79 at-bats going into Wednesday, after coming off the injured list, five homers, nine doubles, and a triple. Uh, that's a 1.087 OPS. And yeah, that's you take that from your backup catcher, definitely. <laughs> uh, speaking of guys who went on the injured list in recent and have returned, uh, Evan Longoria went on the injured list on June 5th. Uh, his OPS was 892. Now, as of uh, Thursday morning, his OPS is 908, which means he He's improved uh, since he he's come back, and he did have a three for three night against the Mets uh, on the seventeenth with a home run. At the same time, his at bat on Wednesday has to be in like the top ten worst at bats of his major league career, and that's not being mean. That's just you know guys can have bad. It might have just been a bad matchup. Edwin Diaz is not exactly a soft a tossing junk baller up there, but it was just a bad at bat in execution and concept. Is Evan Longoria looking okay at the plate? Because I kind of think he is. And is it easy to make too much of that one at bat? Or is it still going to be slow going for him coming back from such a lengthy, weird injury? Yeah, you know, he definitely looked out of sorts in that at bat. He's also facing, I would think, probably one of the top 10 nastiest pitchers in the major leagues. I mean, Edwin Diaz has so much run on on his fastball and gets it up to 100 miles per hour. Um, I, I'm trying to think of other people who, who match movement with velocity in that kind of combination. And I, I I can't come up with many. I mean, Blake Trinan is a guy who comes to mind. Um, yeah, there are just not many people you're going to face coming off the bench uh, who are going to be that nasty. Uh, but it always looks bad, especially when you... Uh, well, let me, let me ask you this. When I say the words... He swung at a pitch that hit him. What player? Sheerholtz. What player immediately comes to mind? Nate Sherholtz. Nate Sherholtz. 
I don't want to pick on Nate Sherrill. He's a friend of the program. Uh, I, I, I tend to go to Tom Goodwin sometimes. Okay. Uh, he was a master of the art. But, yeah, it's just it's got to be the worst feeling to get hit by a pitch and you swing at it and the and the umpire says, oh, sonny boy, that's a strike. Sorry to tell you. Uh, and you got to dig in your 0-2 against that nasty guy after you've just been hit on the hand. Uh, swinging at a pitch that that ran so far in that you swung at it, and yeah, it's that's got to be the worst worst feeling as a hitter. I can't think of anything worse. I think I would do it like fifty percent of the time. I mean, like if if right. I'm up there, like honestly, it's got. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often with uh, the caliber of stuff that major league pitchers throw. It's it's bizarre to me that it doesn't happen more often because I I'll be honest with you that baseball is coming in pretty fast. You know, uh, it just kind of is a good reminder of something that's very, very simple, but we tend to forget. Uh, And if you're the Mets owner, you maybe forget even more often than most. (laughs) Hitting is hard. Hitting is really, really, really hard. I mean, especially when you watch some of the Pitching Ninja overlay gifs with with the tunneling and you see the ball like out of you Darvish's hand and it's it's, all of a sudden it breaks eight different ways like it's all a spider exploding on you. How, How do major league hitters react how do they do that i mean you can't go up there and guess you just can't you have to have a plan you have to look for a certain zone stick to that zone and that's what's amazing about the giants this year is is most of their at bats have been really really good we're not talking about a whole lot of at bats like evan longoria's pinch hit appearance uh you know they, they've been really good sound at bats and they haven't gotten themselves out and when you see the quality of stuff that is being thrown at them uh probably the the nastiest stuff ever it's man, hitting is so so hard, and uh, I think that maybe that's a good opportunity to contrast it a little bit from what we've seen most of this year, and and and, and maybe appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, you and I, I mean, we're of a similar age. We uh, approach baseball in a similar way. Uh, we've been talking uh, for at least 155 uh, times now, uh, and so it feels like you know we have a good rapport. And then you go and you use GIF, <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden we're back to being Siskel and. Ebert, uh, you know, just where we're, we're together and we're talking, but we don't necessarily see eye to eye. And, and by the way, you're Siskel on this. Oh, yeah, I, I, I figured I would be. I would be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm joking, but I am uh, team GIF. But anyway, let's talk about uh, Anthony DiScalfani. Uh, his injury doesn't seem uh, ankle is if, you, if you're going to pick a, a point on the voodoo doll to stab with a pin. Ankle is not necessarily where you want it, but it, it's not shoulder. It's not elbow. He, he should be fine, right? Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's um, you know they, they do have the extra day to play with, but they also are a little bit short. We don't know exactly what Johnny Cueto's status is. That st- still seems to be touch and go. He's, he's throwing, uh, I think he was throwing off flat ground last I checked. Um, you know, we do know that they're going to line up and, and be okay for the A's series uh, in what should be a very competitive, uh, very interesting and fun series. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, very, very glad to hear that Chris Bassett is okay after yes. that scary, scary line drive and a, a whole lot of blood on the mound. And, and you know, he, he's got some fractured orbital bones and he's going to have to, it sounds pretty similar to what happened to Ryan Vogelsong a couple years ago, but to come out of that with no concussion, uh, to come out of that knowing that you're, you're going to have two eyes that work. Um, I mean, my gosh, it's uh, very, very glad to hear that he's going to be okay in the long run. Um, but obviously he, he's he's someone the Giants would have seen in this series, I think, and, and, and they're not going to see him now. So, uh, you know, um, uh, the Giants are definitely going to have to figure out what to do uh, with the rotation after this A's series, but uh, at least they enter it, uh, I think, in pretty good shape. 
Yeah, this is the Met series wasn't a gimme series. I mean, that's a that's a team that is in contention for uh, the NL East still. I know that they've been scuffling, but this is where the schedule gets extremely, extremely fuzzy. And we talked about it last time, but it's worth bringing up again because this is um, like we said, it's Oakland at Oakland uh, at New York against the Mets at Atlanta against the Braves Brewers at home, Dodgers at home back to Coors Field. Uh, from August 20th to August, or September 8th, uh, that is a lot going on, and there is one off day mixed in there, and that's going to be Monday, the August 23rd. That's a gauntlet, man. Yeah, I almost think that the off day thing is is more important than than who they're playing because I mean the Giants haven't really looked outclassed by anybody this year. They've played everybody tough. But we know that they they beat people with depth. They beat people uh, by by uh, you know being well rested. They're an older team. They're the oldest team, really, from a position player standpoint. So um, between the travel uh, to the East Coast and the fact that there aren't a whole lot of off days, as you mentioned, uh, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. Um, and and, and I, the other thing that works against him a little bit is okay. You think you get you get through this Mets Brave series. You you have the Brewers come into town. Okay, it's September one. Let's call up all the kids. But you only get two spots. Yeah. Um, and, and you look at the people who are at Sacramento right now. You've got I got to think Tyro Estrada is going to be the first guy back because uh, they got to cover themselves at shortstop. In fact, maybe Tyro Estrada will be up uh, before that. Uh, I think they're going to have to have him up probably to start that road trip uh, to New York because you can't have Brandon Crawford start every game. Um, and I, I just I just don't see them starting Donovan Solano at short. I just don't see it. Um, maybe they will, but and they're more confident in him than, than I am. But I think Estrada will be on this team shortly. But then you've still got Duggar. You've still got uh, Dubon. You've still got you know a lot of other guys who could help you uh, who are there, and you can't call them all up. Listen, Giants, both writers, fans, have mostly positive memories of Bruce Bochy's tenure. Uh, the one area that if I were to say this is my least favorite part of Bruce Bochy was the September time where he had a, a full complement of righty lefty matchups out of the bullpen and it would be like the Giants are down nine to one against the the Dodgers and two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning and okay finally let me just finish this game story here comes Bochy out to to get that lefty righty matchup that drove me nuts and so when they moved the the September call-ups they limited that there's a part of me that's like yeah I didn't like that when that happened that stunk but now I, I really think that they've overcorrected. I want there to be 32 players maximum because it's more for players health than anything I don't want to see relievers ground into a fine paste I don't want to see these guys have to get used over and over over again before potentially a long October. I want there to be more bodies just to help the players more than the team. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think 28 is a little severe. I think that 40 was too much. I was always a proponent of let them call up, you know, 40 if they want, but you just do it like hockey where you've got, you know, your healthy scratches that you pick from a day-to-day basis and you can only have, you know, maybe it's 30 active players, maybe it's maybe it's 28 active players, but you can have guys who are up in the big leagues and I think that works out for the players. You have more guys making major league money when they're up it works for the team they have more flexibility you know you're not talking about governing the whole season that way just in september i just think that makes so much sense i can't believe that hasn't happened yet yeah i mean and as long as uh, we are picking rules from hockey 
what about like getting that rule where they have a designated emergency backup third goalie? I want to see some bullpen catchers in in the game. I want to see like you you toil, you are you're doing uh you're doing your thing. You're a good valuable coach to the Giants, but I want to see like Craig Albernaz in there. I want I want to see someone get in there in the case of emergency. So I'll tell you a quick story because I have seen a backup catcher play in the game due to emergency. Uh, it was in the minor leagues. I was covering uh, the Cal League uh, back when it was called the Cal League. Uh, oh, just last year. And um, <laughs> this was the San Bernardino Spirit. Uh, so this is going way back. Um, uh, and I was I was working for the San Bernardino County Sun. And they were playing the Bakersfield Blaze. And Greg Nettles was the manager. And you did not want to be Greg Nettles that year because they were a co-op team. I don't think they even have co-op teams anymore. Ooh. But it's basically where, you know, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, and like the Texas Rangers would have a place where they would stash all their extra prospects. They'd have like a second uh, Class A level team, but not enough players to staff a whole other second Class A team. So they'd all just send their, it was like the Arizona Fall League, basically. (laughs) And, but the problem is, you know, if you're running the Bakersfield Blaze, you have no control over when your guys get called up, you know, a level or, or, or needed somewhere else, or, or if you're going to get a player to fill in, um, you know, if you can kind of level those dominoes out if you have one organization with all of your different levels. So they would just never know from a day-to-day basis if they were going to lose players or get one back. And they arrived in this series in San Bernardino with, I want to say, 14 players on their roster. And, uh, and, 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 and the pitcher that day had to wear it, and he gave up, I think, 14 runs in the first two innings, and they finally had to lift him. And so they were had to find a way just to get through the rest of that game. I think that San Bernardino beat him like 23-6 to six or something. But by the end of the game, I kid you not, the starting pitcher was catching. The, <laughs> the starting catcher was pitching, and the bullpen catcher, who probably weighed about 290 pounds, was trying to play right field. And he might as well have had his pants on backwards for as, as mobile as he was out there. And I just felt so bad for Greg Nettles. And I actually wrote uh, one of my, my first big freelance features as like a 22-year-old kid was for Baseball America about the plight of the Bakersfield Blaze. And, uh, um, and and so that was uh, that fond memories of that one for me. But yeah, that was you, you don't want to see it. You don't want to see the bullpen catcher in there, especially especially at a position other than catcher. Oh, my gosh. That, I mean, that is the thing you, you just forget about the minor leagues is that it's not the baseball that, you know, as, as someone who watches the, the majors, it's it's all these contingencies. And gosh, this guy got called up. Well, what are we going to do? And you also have to consider the player's health. Like you're not just you don't want to just run a pitcher out there for 120 pitches. These are like little precious fabric eggs in some cases and you want to keep them safe and uh, God, that's going to be a nightmare to manage a team like that especially a co-op team yeah yeah I, I think that's just why they don't have them anymore but um it, it is it is we forget about all of the sort of uh cascading effects of a, a major league team calls somebody up well that now the triple a team needs someone to start uh and, and the double a team may need to lose somebody to the triple a team um, so, yeah, that's why if you're running a major league front office, you got to think about everyone's welfare. And, and oftentimes they'll have to sign guys out of indie ball or, or, or guys from independent leagues or, or just find somebody who can play shortstop for you at single A in case you uh, don't have anybody there because you don't want to put anybody in a position where they could get hurt because it's it's health and welfare and, and, and safety and not just the fact that 
that these are players that you want to try to bring along in a healthy way and because they're valuable to you, but because they're people that you want to do the right thing for, um, you know, so managers don't have to make those decisions. And, and I mean, that's a lot of moving parts when you start talking about five levels, six levels uh, of the minor leagues. That's just, that's a lot to, it's a big puzzle to manage on a daily basis. And a lot of brain power has to go into that. And, and we tend to kind of forget about it. Yeah. I wish there were some way to uh, like something between a taxi squad and something, because it's not going to help any players when they're just following the giants around, uh, you know, but if there were some sort of, uh, way that you could get players into the game where like the healthy scratches, like you said, like I, I feel bad about like a, I've never said his name out loud. So apologize if I'm mispronouncing, but Jason Krizan, uh, who's 32, he's never had a major league at bat. Uh, and he is hitting 314 in uh, AAA. He is walking almost as much as he's striking out. He's having a good season. He's played second, first, third, left, right. Uh, but there's no real way to get him into a game, even if he would be a perfect fit for the Giants for just like one game. Just get him in there to help rest this guy. I mean, I wish there were some way to do that for the Giants. It would help the, the majors and the minors, I think. And you look at a Jason Krizan, and I do believe that's how you say his name, and he'd be in the big leagues for like 28 other teams this year. Yeah. I feel bad for him. I, it's going to be hard for the Giants to attract those you know, minor league free agents uh, going forward. It's going to be harder, I think, because you don't have as many clear avenues to, to making a team that that's just more talented. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's probably going to be a little bit trickier for them going forward. Um, and, and by the way, I, I do believe he pronounces it uh, Gason, not Jason. Uh, and and uh, he's the anti-gift player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're coming back at me hard with the gift stuff. Well, I don't know. I still think I'm right, darn it. All right. This has been episode 155 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. When we come back on Monday, we'll know what in the heck they did against the A's. That should be a fun, fun series. Uh, you know, the local theater here, the Chabot in Castro Valley, they are showing the Bay Bridge series in their nice little one screen theater uh, for free. Uh, they're going to have, uh, I believe, pop up with a, a, a nice taco uh, catering, and it's it's going to be really cool. So uh, I'm excited. I don't know. I'm pretty excited. Chabot College, home of Nate Shearholtz and the late and great Dick Tidrow. Ooh, that's good. This is actually Chabot Theater, but Chabot College is good knowledge. Chabot College is, uh, man, good, good legacy. All right, this has been episode 155 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>